HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Union Beer. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. I'm Linda Palaccio, host of A Taste of the Past. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. It's November 24th, 2015. Happy Thanksgiving. We've got a special episode. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, Belgian sour beers and uh, pork pate. Uh, I found this this episode. It recorded at March 26th in the East Village. It was the day of the East Village gas explosion, and I feared that the episode had been lost, and uh, we're sitting here in the studio. We just we just pulled it up. It features Rudy, the master blender from Rodenbach, and Sam Barbieri, who's a great chef, talking about Belgian sours, Rodenbach beer, and uh, pairing with pork pate. So have a great Thanksgiving, and uh, this is our Thanksgiving show. Welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's Number 43 and the Good Beer Seal. This is a special episode being recorded in March 2015 with the brewer Rudy from Rodenbach and some of his team, along with Sam Barbieri from Waterfront Alehouse. So here we are in New York City at Jimmy's Number 43. Beer Sessions Radio is brought to you by Union Beer Distributors, supplier of world-class ales and lagers. If you have questions, you can follow our tweets at beer underscore sessions. This show will be will air in uh, April 2015. So we got some special guests here. David from Lattice Imports. You guys import Rodenbach, one of the great sour beers of, of Belgium. Give us a little background on, on the beer and what you guys are doing with Rudy in America this week. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for the intro and thanks for having us. Um, we uh, Cheers. We import uh, Rodenbach, which, as you know, is is one of the great classics, world classics, as Michael Jackson described it. Sour beers are are really having a uh, a resurgence. It's a traditional style of beer. Um, Aging beer in in oak barrels was historically a way of acidifying beer and preserving beer, and it creates a wonderful taste spectrum. And uh, we've been bringing Rodenbach in. It, it's uh, the Rodenbach Brewery has more oak aging capacity than all of the U.S. combined, because in its home geography, the beer we've got in front of us is Rodenbach Session. Some people call it classic uh, or original. Is a session beer, and in its home geography, this is what people drink every day as their thirst quenching beer. Uh, it's 5.2 percent alcohol. It's a one quarter two-year-old beer, so beer that's aged for uh, in oak barrels for two years, and two, uh, two, um, three quarters, three quarters uh, mature beer. So, Rudy, maybe you can describe a little young, bit... Young beer. Uh, young beer, I'm sorry. Rudy, maybe you can describe a little bit uh, the process of, of the old beer versus uh, uh, young beer. <coughs> the, the, the process is a, is a very uh, original and old um, preserve, preserving... Uh, uh, Preservation method, uh, preservation method of beer, uh, because um, at the beginning of beer making, uh, the shelf life of the beer was very short, and to give it a longer shelf life, they store a part on wooden vats, so they make a kind of acid beer, and then they blended the acid beer back with the young beer to reduce the pH in the blend, 
and uh, reducing the pH in the blend was just under the point that uh, bad beer bacteria could not damage the beer. And that was a, a double effect uh, because it was more refreshing and um, because it was slightly sour and it protects the beer uh, and preserves the beer. That's the origin. That's great. And, and how, how far back does this, this style of beer go? I think you have to go back uh, to the Middle Ages. It's the start of beer making, uh, maybe to, in the history. People always used herbs and, and, uh, and spices to flavor their, their food and also their beers. And afterwards, they have discovered that there was uh, um, a herb that preserves the beer better, and that was hop. So, in my opinion, hops was coming after sour beers. Bitter beers um, have the disadvantage that they are... Um, uh, that they were not well accepted when people are young. Young children don't like it because bitterness in, in nature is poisoned. And uh, also women don't accept it very well. So that was a disadvantage of, of hop. But uh, the, the advantage was that it uh, preserved the beer also very good. And Bar Bart's here. You're the export. I'm the export director for um, for uh, Palm and, uh, and Rodenbach. So uh, Rudy makes the beers. I try to, uh, to sell them worldwide so currently we um, we, we sell uh, into some 30 countries and the US is our biggest uh, export market and, uh, and and we are very fortunate that now the the sour wave is, is building here and that we uh, that we have the the original sour if you want in, in our portfolio so we are we are for the next couple of years uh, focusing uh, very much on uh, on Rodenbach as a as a as a, a portfolio to what, what, do you, what do you guys think has changed you know, now it seems like a lot of people want sour beer we saw a lot of sour beer what's changed in, in America well I think you, you look at you know you uh, have a restaurant and, and look at what people are eating not only what they're willing to eat but what they can appreciate and I think you know I sometimes equate beer to coffee and look at the coffee revolution that's gone on and first people will drink you know something like a Starbucks because it's like pow and wow and it's way over here and as they you know appreciate and, and understand the different nuances of coffee they've come back to settle on uh, less big pow taste and and something more refined and I think with sours as you see people there's one theory that you know craft beer drinkers will evolve out of beer quicker than others because They will pay more for something. They'll drink something with greater taste, with greater alcohol. And if you think about that spectrum, that gets you into wine and spirits quicker. However, sour beers are very much on that spectrum, either to keep people in or, or to attract people back. So I think what's happened is the whole American palate has, has grown and, and can really appreciate uh, you know, a, a sour and the, the taste aspects of a sour. You know, we're here with Sam Barbieri from Waterfront Alehouse. Sam, you're one of the, the bar owners I know who's appreciated Rodenbach for a long time. Tell us about when you first started drinking it. Uh, I was always a, a fan of a sour. I'm not a, I'm a sweets person. So I, I appreciate the sours, and I like to pair them. The, the way that I got into beers and, and was educated with beers because I became friendly with a, a, a large group of home brewers mm. uh, very early on. Yeah. Uh, Garrett Oliver being one of them, uh, a couple other people that that were brewers uh, uh, had a lot of knowledge of brewing, knew how to taste as components. So we would break down beers and, and try to taste the components in the beer to become a little bit more educated and how to educate the customer as well. So what we do with our menu is we try to pair beers with the dish that we're making. Mm -hmm. and, and we tell the customer the same thing. Listen, I got a beautiful goat cheese and walnut salad that's going to go great with this little sour beer. Try and taste the goat cheese and then taste the sourness. But you're not only getting sourness, you're getting that fruitiness as well. And that's not only coming from cherries that are in, that's coming from that beautiful strain of yeast that's been cultivated for three centuries. Uh, I think the education is the most important thing. I think that the younger people, and I have two daughters in their 20s, that are very astute to different flavors. And their friends know that they don't just go buy a pizza. They have to have such, you know, a certain pizza with certain cheeses and, 
and they, they pair beers with cheeses and meats, and, and they appreciate cooking so much more. It's just not, mm-hmm. it's not buying you know a, a piece of American cheese off the shelf anymore. Yeah. Well, that's true. It younger people, yeah. and it's the greatest thing now that young younger people, twenties, uh, thirties or so, not even younger than that, I should say, because I know a lot of families that are cooking much more healthy. Letting their children try a little glass of wine and beer with their meal, as has been in Europe for many years, but the children know the, the flavors and how to pair them and, and how to appreciate something better. I think They're not so. going to go out and binge drink. They, they could appreciate a good beer exactly. with good food. I think something that we see is, um, interestingly, women in particular appreciate Rodenbach and red wine drinkers. Mm-hmm. So, and, and, it, and a lot of that has to do with it being sort of outside of the you know, current or, or traditional definition of beer. And Rudy, maybe you can tell a little bit about how the, the pH level and the acidity of the beer goes well with both your, your digestion as well as certain foods, yeah. like cheese. <clears throat> um, the classical Rodenbach has a the typical pH uh, of 3.5 which is the same pH as you have in a good Chardonnay wine. And why the pH of 3.5? That is because under 3.5, bad beer bacteria will not develop them in the beer. So you will not have spoilage that, that preserves the beer. And it makes the beer more digestive. So sour products go, goes better together with food because um, it breaks down the, the, the fattiness and also the, the proteins that you have in, in the product. And uh, therefore you can compare Rodenbach the best with, with a, a white wine, but it looks like a red wine. And in the, and in, in the view, you had to think at the, Pinot, at, a, at, a, at the Pinot Noir, and when you drink it, you had to think at, at the Chardonnay. So David, tell us, the first beer we're drinking is this. Yes, the Rodenbach uh, Classic, uh, Rodenbach Session, is a 5.2% alcohol uh, beer, so it's very refreshing in its home geography. You'll see you know, people drinking it in cans at you know outdoor events and rock concerts and things like that. Um, really, Rodenbach cans? They're Rodenbach cans. That they're not like fun. They're not currently in the U.S., but that tells you how people in their home geography. And again, the reason this brewery has more oak aging capacity than all of the U.S. brewers combined is because in its home geography, this was the go-to everyday beer. Um, so it's very much a refreshing beer, as Rudy talked about. The uh, uh, level of the pH makes it very thirst quenching, it very palate cleansing. Um, it's light bodied in in nature, even though it's got a nice dark color to it. It's very light bodied, so it's an easy drinking beer. Well, I'll say in terms of other sour beers that that are popular and kind of intro sour beers, a lot of people are making a Berliner Weiss, mm-hmm. which sometimes I find too too, too sour or too. It seems like it's a cheap version. Yeah. yeah. The difference is between Berliner Weisse and um, uh, the red-brown uh, air that we make is that in Berliner Weisse you have um, fermentation of lactic acid and you don't smell it. So it's shocking when you are drinking it because it's very sour and you are not awarded. Uh, there's no awareness when you, when you uh, smell the beer. So when you uh, try this one and you smell it, you, 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 you smell a, a certain sourness and this is in combining with the taste. So... Uh, the product is much more in balance. And what were you, Sam yeah. was about to say something. Yeah, no, I said Berliner Weiss. Uh, if you don't put some fruit syrup in a Berliner Weiss, it's it's very uh, it's it's very difficult to to get people introduced into. It. Uh, I find a lot a lot of American. This has character in the background. Some of the new breweries are are, are knocking it's, out a Berliner Weiss. When, when they're new, I feel like it's kind of an easy beer to make. It's a fast mm-hmm. beer to make. Well, yeah, you, you've raised an interesting topic. It's, you know, the, the, the people say sours, and it goes from Berliner Weiss to Saisons to a Flemish Red Brown Ale to a Lambic to whatever somebody threw in a, a barrel for a bit. So it's such a broad description. And something I've learned, and Rudy, you can talk about this, is how this beer has a, two fermentations. A, a starts as an ale fermentation, and the majority of the fermentation happens there. And then it's aged or matured in oak barrels. And the fermentation that happens there is mixed, but it's very subtle. It's more for flavoring uh, yeah. than actually alcohol. And explain how that differs, because that, you know, American sours are quite different because of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, therefore, I think I have to start uh, to telling you, what is spontaneous fermentation? Because this is the origin of, of beer making. Spontaneous fermentation will say that you don't ye- use a yeast culture. You work with the yeast who are in the, in the air. 
and then uh, lambic brewers make a wart, they pump it on the cool ship and it stays there for a night it will be infected by microorganisms from the air and then they pump the beer on, on wooden vats uh, laying vats and, and on the laying vats you have fermentation and also a maturation to make a good spontaneous fermented beer you have to do it in winter time without using yeast or uh, wild yeast and um, in, in, in history that was not possible because the people drank the whole year round beer and therefore they recovered the yeast culture by, uh, from the lambic that they made in winter time and they made a kind of summer beer with a, a, mixed, um, uh, a mixed yeast culture but that type of beer was the shelf of that, of that type of beer was very short and that's the reason why they, they came um, to mature it on wood advantage of mixed fermentation is that you do less uh, as uh, David said you do an, uh, at the first time um, um, fermentation with, with yeast cells, with yeast culture uh, on a tank or on a, um, uh, and, and then you go with the beer on wood for maturation so that's a big difference and that's also the reason why you don't have so much off flavors in, in, a, in a mixed fermented beer you don't have the, the, the typical um, wild yeast flavors in our, in our product most of the of, of, um, of beers who are fermented with wild yeast uh, or blended or um, uh, people added um, fruit uh, and wild fruit uh, to, to compensate the off flavors who are made by the, uh, the yeast cells and also the autolysis of the yeast during the, the, the fermentation and maturation on the same fat. We don't do that. We go with, um, with an ale on, on, uh, uh, on wood with as less yeast cells as possible. So, Rudy, we, we like your accent and the beer, so I'll let you keep talking because the accent always makes everything sound better. <laughs> and, and, David, how do you guys sell Rodenbach? I mean, your, your export, you're, you're selling it to what, distributors? and We sell to importers and to, um, and to, uh, and to distributors in, in markets. And, uh, and it's, it's, it's really now our moment because it's, uh, the whole craft uh, movement is, is, is going on in, in, in all markets all over the world. And, uh, and sour rails are, are, are taking a, a, a much more important uh, part in that. So we really position uh, Rodenbach as the original sour. Uh, so the, the whole uh, boom you are seeing now, for example, in, in U.S. craft is very recent. Uh, people, are, people are putting up uh, oak fooders now everywhere, but, but uh, we've been doing that for 200 years. So we, we really want to position ourselves as the original sour and bringing all that expertise, all that heritage uh, to, uh, to back today. That's great. Hey, we're going to come back in a few minutes. We'll talk about food and beer pairings on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. In 1996, L. Knife & Son acquired Union Beer Distributors, which was originally located on Union Avenue in Brooklyn, but has since expanded to its present location alongside the English Kills Canal in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Union Beer has grown dramatically in the last decade as the primary distributor of Anheuser-Busch products for Kings County, Brooklyn, through the hiring and development of the best people in the industry. In 2003, Union Beer acquired a powerful catalog of specialty brands, which immediately positioned them as the craft beer supplier to accounts in Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, and Staten Island. Union perpetually tweaks their portfolio to maintain the highest level of stylistic breadth with the most coveted brands available. Through the highest possible level of service, outstanding salesmanship of the ultimate lineup of brands, and a paramount focus on education on all levels, Union Beer has solidified its position as the only source for the best selection of beers in the 14 counties of southeastern New York. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. You made it yourself? Hey, hey, yes. welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage oh. Radio Network. We're doing a special show in March 2015. Rudy from Rodenbach, a great uh, Belgian Flemish red sour beer. We're talking about sour beers, and we're also talking about uh, sour beer and food pairings. Uh, Sam Barbieri from Waterford Alehouse uh, brought along a pork roll yet. Sam, give us a little background on, on your... You, you told us about when you first started drinking Rodenbach and sour beers, but you also... Uh, have a special thing with head cheese and Rodenbach. Yes, uh, I just thought when we started doing uh, Pig Island, I said I'm going to do a head cheese because these these beautiful uh, heritage pigs that we were getting were were fantastic. The, the fat tasted beautiful, 
and uh, I've always been into charcuterie. So I said, let's do a head cheese along with uh, roasting the whole pig and doing sandwiches as well. So it turned out but Sam, to be Sam a great uh, But I was thinking that, uh, I was, I'm just thinking that, uh, you know, the, the food pairing and the beer pairing was great. I always used to drink like a Riesling or a Sauvignon Blanc with a salami. Mm-hmm. And then I started tasting and getting into these sour beers with some home brewers. I said, this is a, a tremendous pairing. This is perfect. And then also you agreed us at the barbecue festivals. With- we would, uh, yeah, I would be one of the first ones there breakfast. as you were. And uh, our breakfast was a Rodenbach and head cheese on black bread with a little mustard. Mm. That's great. This is perfect. So what, what are some other, I mean, uh, a few weeks ago we had Julia Hertz from the Brewers Association on talking about food and beer pairings. And she suggested for Flemish Reds uh, a lentil soup. Are, th- are there any uh, typical food pairings that you guys have with the Rodenbach? Oh, there are a lot of food pairings. Um, uh, one of the most uh, well-known food pairings that we know in, 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 in Flanders is that um, um, the classical Rodenbach with shrimps, also with seafood and with fish, goes very, very well together, much more better than even uh, another um, type of wine. Uh, but I... I like to hear that uh, uh, Sam said um, uh, Riesling. Uh, I try to pair Riesling with uh, with head cake and uh, of head cheese. And Riesling has a, a, a quite the most sour taste in, in white wine. And and uh, and this goes the best with uh, some fatty food and uh, yeah, uh, excellent with the uh, with a head cheese of yet. Uh, and any other, like even a liverwurst, if uh, mm-hmm. that's all you can find in this store. This is a big, a big <laughs> hunk of, okay. of, of riyadh with big pieces of bread, so everybody's chomping. But Sam, how did you make this this pork riyadh? This is a Berkshire pork shoulder uh, that I just uh, stewed down with a little bit of. Uh, I just used some uh, pork stock and water, uh, herbs de Provence. Uh, some bay leaf and extra sage, and a touch of uh, garlic. Very simple. Delicious. It's Cook it down, very and pure. by uh, by cooking it maybe six hours or so, uh, stewing it. When it falls apart, I take it out of the juice and uh, hand shred it. Two forks. I just pull it apart mm-hmm. and shred it, uh, form it again, and pour some of the fat back on top. It's almost like a meatloaf. A little bit. Could be. But better. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's perfect. We're drinking uh, Grand Cru, which is um, 6% alcohol, Flemish red-brown. It's 75% or uh, three-quarters of mature beer, so beer that's aged for two years. And it's got a real delicious flavor to it, but it also has a high acidity level, and, and that acidity pairs so well with a you know either the fatty cheeses or any cheese or you know a, a rich uh, meat dish like this so it's a perfect combination it really brings i think the, the flavors complement each other so well and 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 additionally what what the acidity will do is like with every sip it will clean your palate so it's you very can, palate cleansing yeah, yeah you can you can you can get the full pure flavor mm-hmm. of that uh, riet, uh, uh, every time again so that's 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 ideal ideal for that kind of that's food great. so you you're you're here on a tour of america Mm-hmm. And you're going to tell us the cities you're going to, and are you doing any particular Rodenbach and food pairings or Rodenbach beer dinners along the way? We are. We, we Rudy has been in San Francisco, and we're at Tornado uh, there. Uh, went to Rare Barrel, uh, had a, a beer dinner at uh, uh, 415. We spent a few days in San Fran- uh, in Chicago, hit Hop Leaf there. Um, had a beer uh, sampling with sausage at um, Bangers and Lace. Mm-hmm. Um, so great, great dinners there. Yeah. And also Au Cheval. Au Cheval was fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah, the food there was spectacular. And, and paired with Rodenbach well, because they use a lot of uh, uh, foie gras and, and kind mm-hmm. of, they make their own Excellent. meats and, and yeah. bolognese and stuff, yeah. so fantastic. So that's what people were doing, kind of hitting traditional pairings. Absolutely. Absolutely. It seems almost like the uh, artisanal, traditional way of cooking, because this is an artisanal, traditional beer, just so naturally marries together with those wonderful foods that people like Sam are making. Sam, if you were doing something new, let, let, let's say you were, you were teaching some students 
culinary class, and you wanted to go beyond these classics like had cheeses and rillettes. Well, what are some new new foods or Asian foods or, or something that you're seeing that would go well with the road bike? Uh, I would go towards salads, especially getting into this time of year. We, we would look to, to make a salad, maybe a, a grilled duck breast uh, with some goat cheese, walnuts, uh, a cured pork belly grilled oh, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, as a garnish. But it, it would go well as a salad, too. I could even incorporate this beer into the dressing mm-hmm. to, yeah. as a vinaigrette. That's great. Instead of a, 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 a straight vinegar. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. So you guys have some, you have some great food and beer traditions yeah. in Belgium. What, like in the summertime when, when the young people are out with their Rodenbachen cans at a picnic or a festival, mm-hmm. what kind of food are they eating now in Belgium? Maybe maybe even fast food. It goes very well together with, with fast food um, because fast food is also uh, salty and, um, and, and fatty. And, uh, and it cleans your your palate. So and 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 as of next week, when uh, or or coming not this Sunday but coming Sunday, when when Easter starts, then traditionally the coast season in Belgium starts, and then people will that that's like a, a, a national or, yeah. or a regional Flemish uh, tradition. It's like a spoonful of grey North Sea shrimp. You get it like with a spoon, and you you sit on the terrace watching the North Sea. Eat, eat some uh, some salty uh, small shrimp. What do you call the little... shrimp? In, in your, is your language Flemish? Yes, garnal. So so it's a garnal, uh, yeah. and that is a, a traditional Flemish dish: small mm. North Sea shrimp, a spoonful, and then with a Rodenbach. Perfect marriage. How has it changed? I mean, how long have you been the brewer at Rodenbach? Uh, I'm now responsible for the production since uh, 21 years, but I work I worked there since um, 82. So. Now 33 years, uh, and I've learned a lot of things uh, from the old brewmasters, uh, Jacques Lambert, and uh, he learned it from his father, Leo Lambert. So we we go back in time till um, 1924. So uh, that's uh, quite a, a big tradition. How, how did you get your training? Did you start working in a brewery? Or did you go to a school? Uh, I go to school naturally, um, but I, I had my training. Uh, for Rodema had the brewery uh, from Jacques Lambert and after him uh, from other from others. And are there secrets? I mean, I know in America they say a lot of the craft brewers they all share their secrets and their, their new things. Do you feel like that you have a house secret or oh, things the you house, want to share with no, someone? The house secrets or the vats. Um, they, they we do a, a positive selection in in our um, culture that we have in the vats since more than two hundred years, and that's uh, that's the secret. But you cannot um, uh, you cannot imitate it. You, you, you cannot um, duplicate it because it's so original from the brewery. And um, yeah, David. Yeah, the the as you were explaining to me. <coughs> also, you have fantastic. if you were a great if you're a great brewer and you brew an IPA, you can go through six or eight cycles, and in a half a year, you can have a great IPA. Where it takes decades, literally, to get these big oak voters to have the microflora and the uh, you know, to perform and have the balance. So, you know, h- how can you duplicate a yeast strain that's been active for 200 years? Some of our oak barrels are 150 years old, and they were made with 150-year-old French oak trees. There's the local hops, the mineral-rich but, water. But even more important, because we have such a big fats, we have to wait two years to become a result. So when you when we speak about 200 years, that we say only 100 cycles. So... Um, you, you understand that that we say it takes its time to make it even more better. And everyone wants to have the culture that we have in our vats, but it's, it's so typical. You cannot uh, inoculate it in another type of vat because the dimensions of our vats are very, very important. And you cannot imitate that in, in a small wine barrel, used wine barrel. That is that is something else. How, how big are your vats? Uh, our vats... Um, let me say that the, the smallest are uh, have a capacity of eighteen thousand liters. That's uh, uh, one hundred eighty hectoliters. That will say around um, ninety wine barrels. But the biggest uh, have a capacity around sixty-five thousand hectoliters. Uh, liters, excuse me. That will say six hundred fifty hectoliters. So the smallest. How many people could stand in these vats? Oh, if you had to, uh, like a Guinness Book of World Records. Ah, I think. Like, uh, we can stand in with uh, 30 persons, uh, and the biggest ones even with more. But 
the capacity of a big fat of 650 hectoliters is uh, is an equivalent around uh, more than 320 wine barrels in one vat. That's amazing. The owner of the brewery, um, you know, the, the Palm Brewery is by definition a craft brewer by U.S. standards. The owner of the brewery, Jan Teuer, you know, got into Rodenbach because he felt it was a cultural, you know, icon and needed to be preserved. But he has a funny story about the, the oak fooders. He says, we have a routine maintenance Every 50 years, a fooder has to be broken down, and the reeds have to be done. And So they actually have two coopers, full-time coopers on staff at the brewery. And how do you break in the, the new fooders? I mean, do you make new ones? No, we, we restore the old, the old ones, and uh, we do it stave by stave. You cannot uh, do it in another way, because uh, the length of, uh, of um, one, one stave is around uh, five, five meters, five meters and a half. So... You do it. The state is the plank, but explain yep. the positive selection again and how you take the the uh, microflora from one mm. from one barrel to the next one. When we build up uh, a new fooder or we restart the fooder, um, yeah, that's uh, it's incredible. Big. It's incredible. Um, <clears throat> no, then then we look for the the best um, the best maturing fat we have, and then we take a sample of that fat around 15, 20 hectoliters. We pump it in in the in the restarting vat, and um, and we go on. So and, and it, it took two years before we have the result. But every time we do it, when we have to start restart the vat, we do it with the best vat we have. Wow, it's amazing! A lot yeah. of work. Uh, on another note, so like some of the other Belgian styles sour beers that, that I know, there's lambics. Mm-hmm. What's the difference between lambic and a Flemish red? <coughs> a lambic has to be. Um, inoculated on a cool ship. So you make your wort in your brew house, you pump your wort on your cool ship, and there it will be inoculated or infected by microorganisms from the air. And then you go with the, the infected wort on wooden vats. And there you will have the, the, the fermentation in the first step, and then the, the maturation. But that took two, three years to become a good lambic. And what is Goeze? Goeze is a blend between young lambic Lambic from the from the, the current um, winter, with lambic of one year and lambic of two years. When you blend it together, you bring it in a bottle. Then the Brettanomyces wild yeast, who are in the in the old beer of one and two years, will ferment the unfermentable sugars or the, the, the sugars that were not fermented during the first year. And that brings you to Goose. Flemish red brown ales is an evolution on that because. Um, you can only make good lambic during winter time when the temperature during night is low enough to don't have um, a wart infection. And therefore, they 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 looked for the best uh, yeast culture from uh, a spontaneous fermented um, uh, beer during winter time, and re- they recover it. And that's that's such a beer uh, strain, such a yeast strain. We, we we work with that at the brewery because in the past. We also made our own Goeze. We had Goeze St. George and Rodenbach. All made at the same brewery. But we, we, go fur, we, we have gone further, uh, we go further with, with the Rodenbach and we stopped the, the, the Goeze production uh, in the early 70s. And there's also some, some Belgian sours that are like more like sweet and sour as well. Are those still considered Flemish reds? Um, I feel like the Rodenbach is, is really well balanced. Yeah, okay, but you need uh, enough sourness. There are, there are also old browns, old brown ales, uh, Flemish old brown, will say that they, such a beer is not matured on wood and that had no, that has no natural uh, sourness in it. So you, you, when you don't have um, um, uh, oxygen, you cannot have the, 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 the real maturation on wood, just like in wine. You cannot make the, the same wine uh, in a steel in a stainless steel tank, comparing with uh, the maturation on wood. Well, so th- this is a great conversation, and what I love is coming from the old world. You know, having a, a real experienced brewer with with a hundred couple hundred year tradition, and it's it's such a great change of pace for us. So, so many new brewers in the states that we love, we're just learning how to make beer. So, we're going to keep talking about Rodenbach, and then these guys are going to eat some of Sam's uh, pork roulettes, and we'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio.
Hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. This is a special session at Jimmy's number 43 with Rudy from Rodenbach, and we're talking about Flemish Reds. And Sam Barbieri is here. Uh, Rudy's got a great accent, which we appreciate on the radio. It's kind of like BBC from Belgium today. Um, but he was talking about cool ships, and, and Sam said that he thought he said cruise ships. And it wasn't that far-fetched what Sam said. That, oh, you thought that you took the vats and put them on ships. And So what is a cool ship? Who, who wants to tell us about a cool ship? A cool ship is a... It's a big um, uh, open uh, tank at the top of, um, uh, but with a, with a very low high, at the top of the brewery, and you pump it, um, you pump your uh, cooking wort uh, to the top of your brewery, and the open, uh, it's like an open fermenter, but it's, it's an open back, or what do you say, an open, the open, an open vessel, so you, an open, open vessel, yeah. With a, so you're getting wild yeasts from the fields that are yeah. coming in. And, and okay. When, when, when Open the, the windows and, and let it, okay. everything flow. Yeah. That's That's, yeah. It works like that. And um, and you, you cool down your wort during the night from 100 degrees back to 20 degrees. And during the, the, the cooling of your wort in a natural way, uh, the wort will be infected by organisms from the air. That's uh, yeah. spontaneous fermentation. You, you, that is, that's indigenous to Flanders. Mm-hmm. Had you ever heard of a cool ship before, Sam? I've seen, and now that I know what it is, because I've, I've, I've seen videos of it, and I, I believe that's how Cantillon does it as well. Uh, okay. But the Lambic yeah, uh, Valley is just south of Brussels. Yes. So the, the Lambic and, and the specific yeast strains in the air there, the, the Zen River Valley, mm-hmm. just exactly. south of... Uh, of Southwest of, of Brussels. Yeah. Brussels. Yeah. Myself, I was watching uh, old videos of Michael Jackson's... Uh, 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 who used to do a show on uh, NPR? Yeah, Michael Jackson. Yeah, yeah. What's well, so, funny about cool ships? Like we we've heard of them from Cantillon, you know, the, one of those great yes, the right, breweries, and a couple in America, we know Allagash and Peakskill. Those brewers have their own versions of of the cool ship. So I, I've seen one, mm-hmm. but I still don't quite understand how it works. And it's it's, it's it, that, that's when you talk about making beer as like witchcraft, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Don't you have to have like unique atmospheric conditions that's right to, you, to and then, propagate that yeast. You, you could you could do that here as well but what 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 uh, what's what is specific what, what is specific <laughs> at the at the at the uh, Breton, uh, Breton in uh, in the Zenna Valley is that we have the, the variety lambicus and bruxellensis which are typical for mm-hmm. that uh, and they they don't they, they mm-hmm. don't uh, yeah. live anywhere so they are concentrated right there so how do how do the American brewers start a cool ship Okay, um, I think it's very important to have an atmosphere around the brewery, and then you will have also a typical culture around that brewery. And um, the, 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 the wild yeast are in the, are in the, in the building of the brewery. Mm-hmm. Um, but what Americans also are doing, and I have seen it uh, in the rare, the rare barrel, uh, they bring in wort, and um, they infect the wort with um, yeast cultures of Brettanomyces, different types of yeast cultures, and also um, lactobacillus. Uh, um, cultures. So when you bring it in, once uh, you have that that uh, fermentation maturation at the brewery, then you will also have the typical culture at that brewery, and then you can do it also in, a, in an open cool ship. But first of all, you have to bring it in. But bringing in wild yeast, Brettanomyces yeast, and uh, and different strains, you may do it with different strains. That is not the same as doing it. Um, in Belgium, in, in, um, in a historical brewery where you have that culture, because we have much more yeast, different yeast, wild yeast strains, comparing with um, with the inoculating, with some uh, typical, maybe important and very good uh, strains. Also, those who have some off flavors make it much more complex. Well, this is a great introduction. Actually, in a, when this show airs in a week or two on Saturday, April 18th, uh, Jimmy's number 43 will be hosting its annual April Sours event. So I know we're mm-hmm. going to have a lot of different Belgian and American and, and Italian and German sour beers here for an afternoon. You can check that out at jimmysnumber43.com. Okay. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm learning a lot today f- from you guys. I mean, Sam, again, you, you've been a fan of Rodenbach for so many years. Yeah. Um, what, what's I the one it. that we just drank? This we is have the, the Grand Cru. Grand That's the Grand Cru, yes. Uh, and so then the, it's more, more expressive, much more uh, apple and caramelized tastes, tastes uh, also uh, a note of raspberry, but there, are no, there is no fruit in it. Uh, a note of uh, sour cherries, but there, is, there are no cherries in it. So we, be, we become the typical fruity flavor, 
by aging the beer on our wooden vats. And Sam, I know that sometimes you have uh, Rodenbach on draft. Yes, as, as we speak, it's on draft right now. And Waterfront Alice, what's it, yes. what style is on draft? It's the Grand Cru. The Grand Cru yes, is the draft. Which is what we drank, and, and it is very complex. I, I would pair it with a, a nice pork dish, uh, a goat cheese salad, uh, um, grilled vegetables. Yeah, yeah, we're ready for the lunch. Uh, Rudy has Bacon described sandwich, BLT. Uh, yeah, there you yeah. go. Rudy's described uh, Rodenbach and particularly the Grand Cru as the missing link between beer and wine. So it's it starts as a beer. It starts as a, an ale, and it's it's fermented as an ale, and then it's aged for up to two years in these big oak foders. And the the missing link between uh, beer and wine comes in in that you get a mature flavor taste and sophisticated taste profile of a red wine and and yet you have the refreshment of a beer so you have the carbonation you have the cool you have the lower alcohol so it's interesting because um you know a lot of people who are red wine drinkers if you expose them to uh, grand cru uh, they really they really appreciate that Let's jump to the vintage because th there's not too many beers. I mean, there, there, we, there are some beers that are vintage. I mean, Sam's brought in barley wines, but you, you have a vintage program with the Rodenbach. That's and, right. And I don't quite understand that. I'd like to know more about it. Okay. Then I have to explain to you uh, what has happened in, in, uh, in history. Um, long time ago, when we make Grand Cru, that was beer from a vet uh, that has 18 months uh, matured on wood. And um, every time again, it was another vat. And we, um, there were uh, some people, some uh, customers, who made remarks that uh, the Grand Cru was never the same. So there was always an evolution because it was only one vat unblended. And then we have said, okay, uh, because uh, people ask more and more Grand Cru, then we have made uh, an optimum blend, and that was... Um, two-thirds of beer of two years old instead of 18 months blended by a third of uh, young beer and we realized always of nearly always the same taste for Grand Cru but then we missed an unblended beer and then we said okay then we, we have to make um, an unblended beer and we call it vintage and we only make it once a year so every vintage has another taste and because it is a seasonal people accepted that And, and I think we have a, an optimum match. Now we have a, a Grand Cru who is very uh, stable in, in, in the flavor and in the taste. And we have a new beer, vintage. And as you've been traveling around, around the States, are you, what, how are you presenting your beers at, at these places like Hop Leaf and, and Tornado? Mm -hmm. Are you presenting as you are today with the representing of each? Are you doing vintage tastings? Oh, we present normally um, in, in the different uh, special places um, our fooder beer, who is the basic of all of all the beers uh, we presented here. And what is fooder beer? That is beer that is um, matured two years on wood. Uh, to explain people what a technical and, and, and aged beer is, and that it's very sharp, very crispy, and very tasty. And then you can blend it, and then you can understand... Uh, what you taste in a, in a, in a classical Rodenbach. You also can taste what you, what you have in a, in, a, in a Grand Cru. And also what vintage is. The, the, the Rodenbach vintage is, is a 100% unblended uh, mature beer during two years on wood. But it's a special brew and um, it has 7% alcohol uh, or um, 7 ABV. So that, that makes the, the beer more full body and... Um, And, um, and and more tasty also. It's amazing how different... This is the 2012 vintage? Yes. I think so, yes. How this vintage tastes from the Grand Cru. I mean, you yep. think they're so similar, but they're not. It's single, well, it's single cask, so it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a whole different beer in itself, whereas yep. uh, Grand Cru is blended. So, and For example, in, interestingly, in, 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 uh, in Chicago, we, uh, we did a, a vertical tasting of vintage uh, 2010, 11, and 12 uh, to see how the evolution is going and compare them to each other. They're three completely different beers, completely different. So it's yep. very interesting to, uh, to, to do that. Yeah, and you were asking what, what has happened at different places. Some Grand Cru is the go-to. It is the, you know, the, the standard sour. And, it, and it's day in, day out, a perfect beer, and it's delicious. And that's because Rudy has 294 of these big foders to select the beer from and, and get it perfect every time. Yet, as Bart was just saying, you have the vintages, which is one foder. 
And it's so interesting how these folders all have call it their own personality and create this own taste profile. Probably no different some, sometimes in a kitchen, yeah. a different pot or pan, you know, uh, uh, affects, you know, how you cook something. Um, so, again, some places we've done uh, samplings with foods and we have all the different beers. Other times we've done just one beer. It, re- it really kind of depends on the, the environment and the place. Sam, how do you think the vintage tastes differently than the, the Grand Cru? I find it a little bit more sophisticated, uh, complex, a little fruitier, uh, a nicer, longer finish. Uh, this is this is more, uh, as I, I would call this, like a uh, first growth Bordeaux compared to uh, you know. A, Oh, I? <laughs> I think you read the vintage. It, it actually tastes more sour to me. Yes, it does, but it has a little bit more fruit in the back too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a little less carbonation, maybe. No, the, the carbonation is the same. But yeah. we tried this product, this beer, uh, together with um, baked um, duck liver, and that was amazing, yeah. amazing. With, li- with a little bit of honey, and that was that was heaven. That was heaven, and that was at, at La Folie in uh, San Francisco. And also the chef cook, he was uh, incredibly surprised. Uh, what a big uh, food pairing that was. These beers are crying out for food, for sure. Yeah. I can't wait to have some of your pork really at Sam. All right, so one more question. So you guys are traveling the country. Do you think that someone in America could make a beer like this? Oh, quite a good question. Not in the first 200 years, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you're supposed to say. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, obviously, there's great brewers, and I think uh, the Belgians, uh, no different than, uh, I think, early craft brewers were inspired by Belgian brewing. In return, I think Belgians are, are, are very positively looking to the U.S. and saying, wow, there's some great creativity and, and some interesting things going on. And as I said before, a great brewer can... can work towards this, but it will take decades for their brewery to mature, like Bart said, to have not only uh, uh, oak barrels or fooders that are performing well, but enough of them so that they can blend and Mm. balance and and time after time have great beer. Um, So no doubt it will happen, but it will take time. Yeah, no, but David, I I want to put that in perspective because that's what we've been doing for 200 years. Don't get me wrong. I think that the the evolution and the and the uh, the, the positive evolution of, of where uh, American craft the, the level of quality where American craft is today is amazing. I mean, and 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 it's not only uh, the, the 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 dynamic that we are feeling in Europe in Belgium. Uh, we we are being challenged by by uh, by the world because of the the standard that American brewers are setting in terms of innovation and and uh, and creativity and and, uh, and new product development. We have to follow because of the of that dynamic coming from here. And I'm sure that that um, that uh, sour beer brewing is going to take the same uh, uh, high evolution uh, as as, uh, as we've seen with with hoppier beer. So uh, absolutely, I think it's kind of like sports. Absolutely. Think about it. If if uh, the Chinese decided to start playing baseball. Would they be great at baseball tomorrow? No. But in time, if they put a lot of time into it, obviously they're going to get there. So, you know, it's no different than any craft, whether it's cooking or... You can tell you're, you're part of an import. You're talking world domination. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah. for us, okay, it's, and we're in New York City. When this, when this airs, this will have happened. But you're in New York City this week. What are a few bars and restaurants that you'll be doing, things with Rodenbach in this week? Um, so we were, uh, we were in BXL. Uh, last night, which is a traditional Belgium uh, bistro, and we were doing a Midtown, right? Manhattan. Uh, we were at the 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 twenty Zoot, uh, uh, the southern uh, location. We were doing a traditional food uh, pairing. We were at Top uh, uh, Hop uh, down in uh, Soho, yeah. uh, doing a, like a vertical. So we had a few different beers, uh, Rodenbach beers. They were sampling. We were at uh, Whole Foods on Houston. Uh, at Belgian Beer Cafe tonight, we're doing a fooder beer. So as Rudy said, we only brought six of these fooder kegs into the U.S. And we'll be sampling one, one of those tonight, but also doing uh, food stations up on the mezzanine for people to sample the different foods um, together. And then we're doing a tour um, around to different bars like yours and, and Sam's. Great, man. Well, that's cool. You know, because a lot of people, our listeners want to know what's going on in New York City and, and where to get things. And are there a lot of accounts in New York City with Rodenbach on draft? 
yeah, I think increasingly so. Um, what what we're finding, just everybody's experience when you go into bars, there's a lot of rotation. So I think what we're seeing is Rodenbach Grand Cru is in the rotation now. And what we're seeing is more often than not, it's sticking or it's, it's being repeated more quicker in the rotation because people are appreciating how good it is. And, and, and you, you are in the market every day and you, you see the market every day, but I'm, I'm only coming back every so, so uh, many months. The, the evolution, the, the, the speed with which people, the acceptance for sour beers in general and Rodenbach specifically is, 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 is growing immensely. So it's, it's really moving, it's really becoming, becoming a movement. So uh, a lot of people are open to, to discover sour beers and, uh, and Rodenbach uh, in, in, in particular. So that's a and really so, And around the world, what are some of the other cities that, that you export the Rodenbach to? Uh, 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 Australia is, 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 is very uh, comparable to the US in, in terms of, of universe uh, as a craft uh, market and a good craft beer market. So uh, we, we sell a lot of, uh, of Rodenbach there. China is really uh, shaping up uh, for, for this kind of... And, of course, their palate is very um, fairly, very sophisticated as well. Our uh, Hong Kong uh, importer um, is, is, is creating his own dishes, like instead of a sweet and sour pork, he's doing like a, a Grand Cru in, in, uh, to deglaze uh, the, the, the wok. It's, it's, it's fantastic, uh, the, 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 the things they're doing. Uh, Russia is a, is a very good sour beer market, uh, uh, becoming at least... Uh, Brazil, yeah, we see a lot of interest in uh, in these beers, so it's uh, it's 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 a global thing. Which is why don't you guys just quickly say your, say your full names and your position, because I didn't get them. Sure, all. I'm, I'm David Van Wees. I have Lattice Imports. We're a very small import company, and we import the Palm Breweries uh, beers from Belgium. Great. I'm Rudy Hekire, uh, the brewmaster of Brewery Rodenbach since uh, quite a long time, and I'm working there since uh, 1882. You are from 1880. Okay. Cheers. And uh, and I am uh, Bart Brits, and I'm the export director for uh, Palm uh, Breweries, and and I also export um, uh, proudly export uh, Rodenbach. Are you Belgian? I am Belgian. Yeah. 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 And then this guy over here, Sam Barbieri, uh, Waterfront Elmas. Well, thanks for bringing the pork riettes. Are they ever on the menu? Yes, they are. And uh, in April, will you have Rodenbach Grand Cru on draft? Sometime? Yes, and we have the uh, we have uh, Rodenbach bottles as well. Excellent, mm-hmm. excellent. Yeah. Great. Thank well, I'd like much. to thank our sponsors at Union Beer Distributors who helped to bring this podcast to you tonight. Thanks to Rudy, Sam, Bart, and David for joining me here on the Heritage Radio Network. This is a special show. It will be airing in April 2015, right before our April Sorrows event, April 18th at Jimmy's Number 43. I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks to our producers, Maggie Seiden, Justin Kennedy, and our engineer, Jack Inslee. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.